Tonight's virtual Bible study is going to be a fashion show. Yeah, we're going to talk about clothes, but maybe not the most fashionable kind. We're going to talk about the modest kind. All right. It's a very important discussion at any time, especially this time of year. And we want to talk about it and get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 381-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 1st, 2021. We're getting into the second half of 2021 with the Virtual Bible Study tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Yeah, it could be with you, Jacob. But there's something else in addition to the second half of 2021. Sometime this week, uh, we started the virtual Bible study 16 years ago, the first week of July. Mm-hmm. So we are completing 16 full years of the virtual Bible study. And, and uh, uh, Lord willing, we're taking off on the 17th year. So 16 years worth of archived lessons are all on our website you do some you do a simple search there and there very likely may be a a program on some question that you're presently studying and so you use that resource and kevin kelly's in the chat room tonight kevin may be as far as listeners uh, listening to us live tonight maybe one of the oldest listeners i don't know kevin when you kevin started listening around a long time, long time. Not that he's that old, but he's been listening to us he a lot. He moves time. around a lot, though. And we've made him, we've probably made him older listening to us, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, been, it's been, a, it's, it's been beneficial to me. Yeah, me too. You th- 16 years, if there were 50, if there were 50 programs a year, and typically we have a full 52 every year, we have literally only missed a, a handful. We've, in, in 16 years, we have missed less than 12 Less than a dozen weeks of putting a program on, I think, in 16 years. Be my guess. Well, we typically take off for Thanksgiving. Well, in recent years we have. The first few years we didn't yeah. even do that. Yeah. So, But if they're just 50 programs a year, and I think our average is higher than that, but if there's 50, that's 800 programs that are in the archives. So wow. a lot. And Kyle's here. Kyle, you've been behind the controls for a long time. Not all 16 years, but uh, thank you no, for being here tonight. Good. It's a good beneficial study. Yeah, I'm glad, and glad that you listen. Yeah. Uh, and for 16 years, our listeners have been making the program better, and we would uh, appreciate if you would help make it better tonight. Kevin thinks he's been listening for 14 years, wow. so he's got he's got to be one of our oldest yeah. participants. Not oldest participant. Well, if he's been listening for 14 years, that, that just indicates he's got to be getting older, too. Oh, well, okay. Uh, we want to hear from you. You can make it better tonight by giving us a call at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Email um, us at questions at collegeview.com. And uh, sign in with the chat room uh, to the bottom of your video feed if you're listening to us live. And share your comments there. Um, we uh, welcome your comments at any time, though. If you, a lot of our listeners, uh, and this has happened ever since we got started, most of our listeners uh, listen in the podcast version, uh, in the recorded version, and that's understandable. Things are busy, and uh, you listen maybe on your commute or some other way. Send us an email anytime, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd just like to know that you're out there, maybe. Send us an email and uh, and say hello. Yeah. All right. So we got uh, we got listeners in uh, California and Florida and Iowa uh, and here in Tennessee, maybe some others too. So join in us, join us in the chat room and uh, plan to participate as we talk about modest clothing. That's our discussion for tonight. All right. <laughs> we have talked about this in the past, uh, but I think it's one of those things that we need sort of constant reminders because. First of all, I think people are, are greatly challenged by the by societal trends in regards to clothing, uh, and there's just a lot of pressure, especially on our young people, to conform uh, with what the trends, the fashion trends of society dictate. Uh, you know, several years ago, uh, 
everybody sort of rejoiced when long skirts became popular. Oh boy, that's a move in the modest direction. I, I, I actually think that the people who were wearing long skirts weren't thinking about modesty. It just was the trend. Well, that trend's gone away again now, and short skirts are back in vogue. What are, what are Christians supposed to do? What are young people supposed to do with all the changeable trends? We want to talk about that in our study tonight. So earlier today to our update list, we sent out these questions. Get on our update list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, add me to the list, and we'll do it to our update list today. We suggested these questions. Number one, what are some of the wrong reasons that lead people to make bad choices about the clothes they wear? Actually, uh, we had a sermon here last Sunday night about modesty, and that's one of the things we dealt with. I thought it would be good to deal with in this program as okay. well. All right. Number two, the Bible condemns nakedness. Define what this means and what parts of the body must stay covered to avoid nakedness. Number three, what is shamefacedness? That's a word we don't use in normal daily conversation. I didn't use that one today. Did you really? I did not. No, oh, oh no. I thought you said you I don't did. think you didn't either, Kyle. No, no. No, okay. I, I can't remember last time. I don't think probably ever that I did that except talking about Bible things. If that word's found in First Timothy two nine through ten, and that's an important text we want to look at. So, what is shamefacedness, and how should this concept help us in making closed choices? Number four. What is lasciviousness? Did you use uh, that one today, Kyle? No, no, oh, I haven't. Didn't no. use that one either, okay. Uh, how does this factor into closed choices? And finally, number five, how would you answer someone who says, quote, if you can't control your thoughts when you see me in a swimming suit and so forth, then that's just your problem. You have a dirty mind. Okay. Uh, that, that, that accusation gets thrown out there, you know, from time to time. So... Uh, we want to sort of deal with that concept. All right. Get in line and share your thoughts with us tonight on this important topic. Um, and um, Dwight and Michelle are in Iowa. We talk about baptism and repentance every, almost every meeting, they say in the chat room. The few times a year about modesty should be no problem. Baptism and repentance is very important. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, Dwight and Michelle say this is a very important topic. Kevin uh, says maxi skirts. It was definitely not the normal trend, which is u- usually towards skimpy, revealing, form displaying, and unashamed clothing. Right. Yeah. So he's talking about that trend, I guess, towards the longer skirts. You yeah, mentioned. it went away, though. Yep. And Andrew said, uh, Andrew s- said, I've said lasciviousness much more than shamefacedness. Okay. <laughs> Probably so. All right, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, to, to Dwight's point about well, only a few times do we mention modesty, you know, there's an expectation on me here at College View that that sometime in the spring or early summer uh, we have a, a lesson on modesty. Uh, and uh, a number of years ago, uh, a brother uh, said to me, "I think you might have a a hang up on modesty. I, I, this seems to be something that you, uh, you 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 dwell on it. You 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 hound on that subject too much." And so I said, well, possibly so. I said, let's, let's analyze that for a minute. I said, so in a given year, if there's 52 weeks, let's just say 50 weeks, two sermons uh, a week, uh, two, two sermons every Sunday, 50 weeks, 100 sermons a year are preached here. If we have one of them on modesty, then that represents 1% of the sermon topic choices deal with modesty. Uh, would you say that's overdoing it, uh, considering what is an obviously huge problem in our world of immodesty? Do you think that preaching on that 1% of the time is overdoing it? And the guy sat back and he said, wow. He said, when you, when you think about it that way, no, I don't think it's being overdone. Well, good. <laughs> good. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. All right, wrong reasons. All right, what are some of the wrong reasons that lead people to make bad choices about the clothes they wear? We got a response from Caleb right here in Middle Tennessee. We hadn't heard from Caleb in a while. Good to hear from you, Caleb. Yeah, I saw Caleb he not says too he long doesn't ago. get a... to watch uh, live very often. Usually, always picks it up in the archives, and that's and a lot of our listeners do, and that's a good thing. Yeah. 
So Caleb said, I think pop culture today has pushed the length of what is acceptable and modest to the point of where it is acceptable to say, at least they don't look like that, or I'm not showing as much as him or her. When was modesty ever a comparison to others? If the standard that we set our appearance to is that of the world, then we are doomed to fail. Our comparison is not toward each other, but rather to God's standard. Following others and allowing fashion trends and famous individuals to set our guidelines for modesty fails to understand the true importance behind it. Amen to that, Caleb. I appreciate that comment. So basically, Caleb is saying that a really bad reason for choosing choosing the clothes you wear is because it's what everybody else is doing. It's the trend. It's what's fashionable. Uh, th- that's really dangerous. Uh, you remember in Exodus 23, verse 2, Moses warned the Israelites, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. If the majority's doing evil, and obviously in this, in this category, it's clear that they are, then we should not follow them to do evil. Right. But if you think about following the, the societal trends, what if you were in a tribal area of the world where the people, the native people there, go almost completely naked. Uh, the women go bare-breasted, and the men wear very scanty little loincloths, if, uh, if at all. If that were, if you were there, and that was what everyone was doing, would that make it all right for you to do that? You know, I, try, I posed that question to a preacher one time, and he actually answered, well, I, I guess I'd have to say if that's the, if that's the norm, that it would be all right. Uh, well, if, if you're going to accept that, then, then we really don't have anything to talk about. Well, it, it sadly goes farther than that because we've got to be careful that we don't allow others in the church to set the standard because I think a lot of times Christians wear things that other Christians wear and assume, well, if Brother Joe or Sister Sue's wearing it, then I guess it's okay. Yeah. Uh, and we you see that in congregations where... Maybe the, the the whole group has certain standard. It's not the standard of God's word, but it's the standard of, well, everybody else is doing it. Yeah. So you're saying not just following the trends of the world, but sometimes even following the trends of other Christians can get you in trouble. Right. Exactly right. So I think Caleb's on to a good point. Uh, again, we, the, the, the standard is not what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kelly says, uh, Matt, comparing ourselves to sin or what we perceive as degrees as, as sin, misses the point of keeping oneself unspotted by the world. I think that's right. Exactly yeah, right. We've got to go back to the absolute standard in everything, especially in this subject. Dwight yeah. in Iowa says, the first reason I can think of is that they are not taught at all about modesty or nakedness because they don't want people to leave ch- the church, especially the young adults. Oh, so so Dwight's observation is lots of churches are not dealing with this because it's an unpopular subject. Another, and therefore they're uninformed. Therefore, they're making bad choices. Another reason would be that there is no real definition of modesty in the Bible that is subjective to the individual. That's not true. So they would say, well, there's no standard. And right, you can't say, draw a line. How many times have you heard someone say, you can't draw lines? I don't think no. that's true, but I hear it a lot. Or he says the preacher is against teaching on controversial subjects. This one will get you in trouble if you preach on it. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and I've experienced that. I know others have, too. Uh, and he said, it is no one else's business what I wear. Yeah, you've heard people say that, which is also not true. You know, don't bother me what you think about my clothes. It's none of your business. I'll wear what I want to wear. Okay. Uh, keep your nose out of my business. And that's really not true. Uh, if if what you're doing is sinful and you're a Christian and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, your spiritual brother or sister or you're my spiritual sister, then... I have an obligation to address that. It is my business. It's everybody's business. And Christians Christians should never, uh, in regards to anything, clothes or anything else, Christians should never hold that attitude or, ex- or especially express that attitude that what I do is none of your business. If you're a member of the body of Christ, what you do is... is is other people's business. All right. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, many use the wrong standard of authority to determine what type of clothing they wear. 
They, they, they use worldly clothing designers, popular opinions of others, or what attracts members of the opposite sex in determining the, is the determining factor on making wrong choices regarding to their, clo- their clothing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, I, I, what Kent said there, you know, wearing clothing to attract members of the opposite sex. You know what's kind of interesting is that people of the world, when you ask them why they wear the clothes they wear, they're they are they're completely honest about that. They're totally upfront. They they will tell you to attract people to 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 a, a, a girl dresses in very immodest clothing, very skimpy, very revealing. And she'll uh, uh, if she's not a Christian, she'll admit the reason she's doing that is to get boys to look at her. You put but Christians will wear that same kind of clothes and then deny that. You know, so in in that case, the people of the world are more honest than Christians who are trying to rationalize and self-justify their immodesty. All right. Kevin in the chat room quotes Cain to the subject of, it's none of your business. Uh, He quotes, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that was, you should be. Yeah. Uh, And uh, Kevin says... um, the Bi- also says the Bible answers this question much differently than pop culture, and we're going to get into that uh, on the other side of the break. It's time for a break. When we get back, let's start talking about some of what the Bible teaches on this subject and some standards. Uh, this is not as vague and ambiguous as some would like us to believe. The Bible does teach a lot on this subject, and we'll get to that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Many people ignore God and then blame him for the chaos that results. You can fool others. You can even fool yourself, but you can never fool God. Don't confuse God's patience with his final response. Do the math. Count your blessings. Man, wish I'd said that. Here's a quick thought. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Do you look at the Word of God as the Hebrews writer reveals? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now you see why it's so important to be in the Word. Seize the day. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, uh, reminding you to give us a call at 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you on the program. Now, maybe you don't agree with what we're saying. Or get in the chat room. Get in the chat room. Join us in the chat maybe room. Maybe you don't agree. Maybe you think we're, we're all wet. Well, then give us a call. We've got our email. We've got our email window open too, so we're checking emails. We've got the chat room window open, and we got a phone that can be used. So we want you. And like you say, Jacob, we are not adverse to people disagreeing with us. You don't have to agree with us to participate here. Uh, and if you have a different opinion, we'll give you an open door to say so. Yeah. Uh, we'd be glad to hear. Right. Uh, before we pass from this uh, bad reasons to make clothing choices. I, I had one that uh, I have heard people say, it's, well, I wear this, you know, I wear these shorts because it's more comfortable, you know, or I wear this kind of clothes because I just want to be comfortable. You know, I, I, uh, when I've talked about this before, I have made the point that I, I don't really buy that. I don't buy that short, Inadequate clothing is a comfortable thing because I witness, for instance, women tugging down on their dresses or pulling up their tops because they're constantly having to adjust their clothing to try to stay covered. It really looks uncomfortable. It looks like they're in a, in a real battle with their clothing. So I don't, I don't buy that business that it's more comfortable. But if you were to grant that that kind of clothing is more comfortable, it's the, the the question the follow up question I have, even if it was more comfortable are you not willing to sacrifice your comfort in order to be right with God? You know, as people get more health conscious, you see people wearing long sleeves and covering up everything to prevent exposure to the sun. But would we use the same 
argument there, well, it's just uncomfortable. You know, I want to get skin cancer. I'm willing to get skin cancer because it's too uncomfortable to be covered up. People are willing to do it for that reason. But if it comes down to, well, the scriptures teach it, well, you know, we're going to chafe and, and fight against that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then one other thing that some people say, reasons why some, especially some of our young people, end up wearing immodest clothes is because their parents won't take a stand. And their parents are compromising because they don't want their kids to stand out or be different. And so they, they let their kids follow the passion, fashion trends as a, a form of compromise. And I think it's a big mistake. We've got to teach our kids that they are different and that they're going to be different. And this is a perfect area for a teaching opportunity. We don't wear that kind of clothes because it, the Bible tells us it's immodest. Uh, and, uh, and we're not going to conform to the world. You know, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Be not conformed to the world. But I'm concerned that parents are letting their children be conformed to the world. Don't compromise. A guy once told me that his daughter was wearing things that he thought were very bad, and but he didn't do anything about it. And he told me, he said, you'll be surprised the things that you let your kids wear someday. I don't think so. I don't think you will be. So, uh, I mean, some parents, you, so parents need to be parents, and they need to help set the standard for their children. All right. Uh, one verse along this line, 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Second Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come yeah. out from among them. All right. Um, uh, Dwight and Michelle say we are accountable to each other. This is back to the idea of being our brother's keeper. That is the part of being a local. That is part of being a member of a local church. So some accountability. Brian's out in California. Good to hear from Brian tonight. Brian says Titus two places a responsibility of the older generation on the younger to educate one to live separate from the world. I believe we're not as sincere as we should be in these commands. The, the older do need to be involved in the lives of the younger people and uh, and helping to to set those expectations based upon what the scriptures teach. Andrew says immodest clothing can definitely be more comfortable if you're not concerned about being covered. But like you say, it's not a good reason. That's not a good reason to be immodest. Um, So even if even if this particular kind of clothes that you've got, you feel affords you a degree of comfort, but you're immodest, then would you give up your comfort? Would you sacrifice your personal comfort in order to be right with God? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Nick uh, and, and Andrew are going back and forth about, well, you could be comfortable. You know, there's no, maybe you're inside, and there'd be reason to get comfortable there, maybe in the air conditioning where you've got uh, the doors and the la- uh, shades closed. Uh, Kevin uh, says, since, I be- since I've been accused of being old, I think you're the one who accused him of being old, <laughs> not me. I can remember a time when it was it became shameful for women to wear pants and shirts that were that were form-fitting because it showed the female form. For sake of both the man's lust and the woman's reputation. Yeah, yeah, that's something that's not talked about enough. Is so we're going to talk about actual flesh exposing flesh, but you could have all your flesh covered and still be grossly immodest uh, by wearing a, a tight, form-fitting kind of clothes. And I think that I think that is an area where a lot of people, a lot of a lot of Christians, especially women fail the test of modesty because they wear tight form fitting clothing that really is immodest but we'll, we'll talk about that all right now on to the question number two okay question two the bible condemns nakedness define what this means and what parts of the body must stay covered to avoid nakedness okay so uh here uh we, we got to do a little a little background study to figure out what is identified as nakedness. I, I like to use the very first episode of sin in Genesis chapter three with Adam and Eve. Uh, you remember Eve was tempted. She took of the forbidden fruit. She gave it to her husband, Adam. He ate. Uh, and it says in Genesis three, long about verse six and seven, the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, the word apron there denotes a covering for simply the midsection of the body. We, to be more explicit, just, just basically covering their private parts. That's what the, the aprons of fig leaves did. 
Well, interestingly, in verse 9 of Genesis 3, God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. So Adam had already covered his midsection with this apron, but he still felt naked. And I think it's interesting that God apparently agreed with that assessment because in verse 22, Adam said to, uh, uh, unto Adam and also to his wife, did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them? They finally got clothed. They weren't naked anymore when God made them coats. The, the, the word there for coat in our English literally means a tunic-like garment covering at least from the neck to the knees or below. And so from that very first episode, you get the idea that nakedness would be exposing the torso of your body and all the way down to your knees. To expose the thigh is to expose nakedness. So that's the area that needs to be covered to avoid exposing nakedness. By God's own practice and definition here in Genesis chapter 3. That's what he did to close. And again, you reiterate, being naked by Bible definition does not mean that you don't have a stitch of clothes on. Exactly right. If we use the word naked today, we mean absolutely without any clothes like at all. Like a jaybird. Naked as a jaybird, we say. Mm. That's not what the word naked in the, in the Bible means. Mm-hmm. Nakedness is inadequately covered. There may be some covering there. Adam had the had the apron of fig leaves on, but he was naked. And God, he wasn't clothed until he covered all this part of his body. By the way, from that text, we note that there is no distinction between men and women in regards to what parts of their body can be exposed. I don't know who came up with the idea that it was okay for men to go around bare-chested, but women couldn't. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's that's not a biblical principle. Okay. Men and women are treated equally in regards to the part of their bodies that must be covered to avoid nakedness. Another really important text, and again, we're, we know, we understand we're not under the Old Testament law. We're certainly not living in the Garden of Eden. This this text from Exodus 28 has to do with the clothing that God prescribed for the priest. We're not saying that we're under that law. We're not saying that we have to wear the garments the priest we're just using this to grab a definition or a partial definition of what nakedness is. This in Exodus 28, beginning verse 40, this describes the garments of the priest. For Aaron, this is Exodus 28, beginning verse 40. For Aaron's son shalt thou make coats, thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and beauty. And thou shalt make them linen breeches, or we would say linen breeches, you will make for them linen breeches to cover their nakedness, that the, the, uh, from the loins even to the thighs they shall reach, and they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come in and unto the tabernacle of the congregation, when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. So the priests had these very elaborate robes, <laughs> but they had these linen bridges that were actually under their robes, they weren't out there doing their work in shorts. These, these were basically their underwear. And they were, they were specified to be worn under their robes in case that in the course of their heavy work of, of making sacrifices and so forth, and there was a lot of heavy work involved in slaughtering and butchering and, and burning animals. That, 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 and, and there would be occasion perhaps when they'd have to be up above where others could see underneath their clothes. These, these breeches were to keep them from exposing nakedness, but it specifies from the loins even into the thighs they shall reach. And so the breeches were something that covered from their waist down to their knees, covered their thighs. So again, emphasizing that the thigh of the leg cannot be exposed. That's exposing nakedness. So we got a pretty good picture there. To all the people who say you can't draw a line, here's a Bible line that defines nakedness. Nakedness is from the neck down to the knees. And by the way, that part of the body has to stay covered all the time. It's not just that you have these parts of your body covered if you're standing perfectly straight and still. This means when you're bending over, when you're sitting down, when you're getting into and out of a car, 
You know, uh, I think every woman would acknowledge if if she's wearing a relatively tight skirt, if it comes to her knees when she's standing, when she sits down, it comes way higher than that. Men, when they're wearing shorts that come to the knee, when they sit down, the shorts ride up to mid-thigh. They wouldn't think about wearing shorts that short. And, and, but somehow they console themselves because when they're standing, it comes to their knees. But in reality, they're wearing relatively short shorts that come to mid-thigh when they sit down. And so I think that's, that's pretty, I think it's a pretty direct and absolute line about nakedness that's drawn there in the Word of God. Yeah, Kevin says the priests were considered unclothed without the breeches under their clothes. Yeah. Now, what about the idea? Someone says, well, why do you have to, what, you're going to the Old Testament for that. Uh, you don't get your justification from the Old Testament. What's the deal there? Again, we're just, we're just looking for definition, uh, how God defines terms. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not saying that Christians have to dress like the Old Testament priests dress. We're just, we're just looking for that term nakedness and what does it take to cover nakedness in God's estimation. Will you do the same with, uh, well, and arguing against abortion? We use the Old Testament to define when life uh, can, it begins, uh, that, uh, that life is in the womb. Yeah. Uh, and um, we use it for terms like firstborn and understanding what that means uh, in New Testament application. Yeah. So nothing wrong with going to the Old Testament here uh, to define terms. Exactly. Right. <clears throat> Dwight says, I believe to define nakedness, one must look into the scriptures and be taught what was nakedness to God starting at the very beginning. Adam and Eve found themselves naked in the garden after eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, their eyes were opened to their nakedness. They then sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, what the Lord called out to them. When the Lord called out to them, they hid. Even knowing that they had their fig leaf coverings on, they still considered themselves naked, and that's why they hid themselves from the Lord. Let, let me pick up the rest of his lesson. You're getting choked up. <coughs> Dwight's got you all choked I'm up. sorry, Dwight. Uh, Dwight goes on and says, I believe mm. with studying God's word, we can see that nakedness falls between the neck and the knees, as defined in Exodus 28, verses 40 through 43. Uh, we just read that. I think you're right, Dwight. Coat or tur- a coat or tunic consists of starting at the neck or shoulder area. Str- uh, uh, Strong's uh, Hebrew word number three eight uh, thirty eight zero one. Also, Exodus 20:26 20, states that their coats be long enough to not expose their nakedness while going up the stairs to the altar. Okay, Thank you're you. right. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle. Kent says nakedness does not necessarily refer to nudity. The term under consideration is the word word gumnos. Such refers to being unclothed. In the New Testament, it is used with reference to being scantily or poorly clothed in Matthew 25, 36 through 43, Acts 19, 6, John 21, 7. In John 21, 7, the outer garment had been removed and only the undergarment was being worn. There are external principles set forth in the scriptures. Eternal, eternal, yeah. Eternal principles set forth in the scriptures that indicate the chest and thighs extending down the knees indicate areas that need to be covered. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I guess he's, yeah, there in John 21, Peter jumped in the lake because he was naked. Well, was he fishing without any clothes on? Oh, he had his underclothes on, but he he he, he, need, he wasn't adequately covered. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, okay, he, uh, Nick says, it does appear that there are situations which less clothes were acceptable. He references John 21, verse 7. Is that is that indicating that it's okay to have, that Peter was okay because he was fishing, that he could have less clothes on? I don't know. Uh, uh, obviously, he was not with any members of the opposite sex in that setting uh when he was in the fishing boat with his partners he was not he was not exposing himself to the general public and members of the opposite sex i would make that observation for sure you know I, and this is a question and this is honestly a question that i'm i'm not real comfortable with but for instance when we were in school and we had gym class we all had to take a shower after gym after gym class, before we returned to our regular classes, we all went to big shower room. When we were in college, I I know a lot of college rooms now have their own private baths, but when I was in college, I lived in a dorm with a great big open shower room, and there might be several guys in there showering simultaneously. They just had put plumbing in when you were there. Well, we had to carry our own buckets. Okay. In there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would say there's a difference in the, in the situation there. I, I would not use that as justification to say that we could go out in the general public and be exposed to members of the opposite sex 
in the kind of clothing that Peter was was wearing when he was on the fishing boat. Okay. All right. Uh, Kevin says Peter was ashamed when he saw the Lord while while naked. So it's not because of opposite sex consideration. Yeah, I think Kevin's got on to something there. Uh, and, and the other thing that you would have to prove about that situation is that it was even appropriate for Peter to be doing that. Right. It, yeah. we, we don't know he just that. Got, he just got done denying the Lord. We're going to say, well, it's okay to deny the Lord in certain circumstances. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, 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 there's there's quite a bit about that circumstance that would not justify its use in, in application to the question we're raising about yeah. the clothes we wear. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Nick said, asked, does it say he was ashamed? Uh, what, what, what does it say? Uh, yeah. It says... Uh, just, he, was, he didn't say he was ashamed, but he, it appears that he was. Uh, Andrew says, should we be more com- considered about our nakedness among people of the same sex, considering same-sex attraction? And I think he's on the, on the same lines as uh, Kevin there. We need to, I think we need to be considerate uh, of that all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree to that. And that's what I was saying. Is you know, I, my, as I think back on those occasions when we were in public showers and so forth, was that appropriate? And I don't know that I could argue that it was. It was. It was certainly different than being in public among mixed uh, yeah. uh, men and women. But I, I, I as I said earlier, I, I, I don't know that I could honestly argue in favor of that practice uh yeah although it 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 has happened andrew says how do we know that the expectations for the priest was not higher regarding nakedness and modesty as it was for other situations such as ceremonial cleanness priest had to be far more clean than regular israelites we're not talking about that we're just talking about what is nakedness yeah we're not saying we're not saying people other people could wear different clothing we're saying that we're only using that text to identify that this part of the the bridges covered the part of the body that would have been exposing nakedness otherwise okay all right that's good observation uh, if you got any comments in the chat room let us know we are well over time for a break we need to get one now and we'll take your thoughts on the other side Boy, the, the, the chat room is on fire tonight. We're going to have to get that when we get back. Uh, stay tuned. We continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. This is Greg Wynn with this week's Bullet Point. Do we have to go to church? Most parents have either already heard this from their kids or will hear it in the future. Seems most children go through a phase in which they question the need for faithful attendance at all of the assemblies. When this happens, what's a parent to do? Here are some suggestions. First, set a good example. Never let your children see you compromise your commitment to the Lord for any other thing. This means, in particular, never let them see you miss the assemblies for the activities of this world. Be careful not to allow recreational pursuits to come between you and God. If you do, you'll be teaching your kids a lesson that you don't want them to learn. Ball games and golf, hunting and fishing, even vacations can't begin to compare in importance to serving God. Use caution, too, in regards to your work. Too often Christians let their jobs interfere with their spiritual service and never 
Never let them observe you staying home simply because you don't feel like attending the services. In other words, be sure that you have your own priorities in order. Second, teach them to love God. Really, there's something wrong with it. Do we have to mentality? Anything we do for God should be done out of deep and sincere love for him. Quote, we love him because he first loved us. First John 4 verse 19. Work hard to instill this attitude in your children. Any other motivation will ultimately fail. Again, be sure that you have this attitude firmly fixed in your own mind. They are watching you and imitating what they see. Bottom line, be sure they are present at all the assemblies no matter what. Kids are kids. They need to be taught. They do not naturally understand all the things that are in their own best interest. For that reason, we make them do some things they don't always want to do. For instance, taking a bath or doing homework and so forth. Learning to love the Lord and serving God is the most important lesson of all. Therefore, any parent who really wants what's best for his child will make sure he's present, even when that means forcing the situation a little. Keep working, of course, at developing the right attitudes in your kids, but get them here one way or the other. Remember, parents, it's your job to, quote, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight, running short on time, but just to remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find Kyle's handiwork at College U Livestream on YouTube. Yeah, we've got some good studies, always uh, always some great studies going, which we just concluded our marriage class so we're starting in the prison epistles i think this next wednesday right exactly right and and um you want to check out that um let's uh let's get quickly to some comments in the chat room um and kevin says maybe we need to have a, a further talk about nakedness and all its permutations on a future studies yeah so maybe i mean we could we could we could go into a lot of more detail there but there's a there's an accusation here from nick that maybe this is making a law uh, where God hasn't made a law. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a serious thing, and we don't, we don't want to we don't want to be doing that. And I'd just ask, what's the evidence that we've done that? What law have we established this, that we're basing our arguments on the Word of God? Uh, so uh, you know, if if there's evidence that we are establishing our own law in this matter, then priests bring that evidence forward. Uh, that's not our intention, and I deny that we have. We've just been trying to look to the Word of God for a definition of nakedness. There is a standard in the Bible and an expectation that exposing your nakedness is shameful. That is an Old Testament concept and is also reiterated in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. And so since it is shameful and since God expects that area to be covered uh, and to not expose that shame then we need to understand what it is, what constitute, constitutes nakedness. Again, we didn't make up the law that says nakedness is shameful, that our nakedness needs to be covered. God did. And so let's look to the Bible and figure out what that is. It obviously is not the standard of our society. Uh, there have been throughout time uh, various expectations on both men and women to cover certain parts of their body. Uh, the society uh, has defined that, that rather fluidly. But what does the Bible say about nakedness and what defines nakedness? And we've looked to the Old Testament for a defi- for, only for, for definition. For a definition. Uh, and so they we're saying that there, God said even in the New Testament, exposing your nakedness is a shame. In the Old Testament, he helped us define what that is. And so we should not expose it, not because he said not to expose it in the Old Testament, but he said it's shameful in the New Testament. Yeah, Genesis, or excuse me, Revelation 3, it uses the concept of nakedness in the spiritual sense, obviously drawing the, the reference from the reality in the physical world to the church at Laodicea. Uh, the Lord said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried with fire that thou mayest be rich, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So, Obviously, it's using it there in the spiritual sense, drawn from the physical reality of the shame of nakedness. Nakedness is a shame. It's to be avoided. We're not making that law. All right. Quickly, shamefacedness. We need to talk about that. Okay. So we ask, what is shamefacedness? How does this factor into our clothing choices? First Timothy 2, verse 9. Uh, realize here that actually, as the people of God, we are actually called to a higher standard than just keep your nakedness covered. I think that's really important to stress. 
you know, so we can define nakedness, but the reality is we shouldn't even try to come close to that. We should, we should do all that we can to stay far away from nakedness. And I believe that's what 1 Timothy 2, beginning verse 9, teaches. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Shamefacedness uh, is, again, a word that we don't use commonly, uh, but here's what it means. According to R.C. Trench, uh, shamefacedness uh, is an innate sense of honor that shrinks from overpassing the limits of womanly reserve and modesty, as well as from the dishonor. So you're staying back, shrinking back from, he says. Uh, Kenneth Woost says that shamefacedness is respectful timidity. And so a person who's respectfully timid is not going to see how close to immodest they can get. They're going to stay well away from that. And so you're not pushing the envelope. You're trying to you're trying to be well on the safe side. Uh, Vine says it is a sense of shame or modesty which is fast rooted in the character. And so shamefacedness again suggests the idea that we're not wanting to see how close we can get to the line of nakedness, but actually stay well away from it. Okay. So shamefacedness is an important thing. Uh, and it would be very important in making clothes choices. That's what Dwight says. Dwight says shamefacedness is defined in Strong's Greek as uh, number 127 as downcast eyes, bashfulness as towards men, reverence, modesty, and all towards God. Merriam-Webster says bashful, ashamed, extremely modest, or shy. Whether overdressing or underdressing, we as children of God need to show respect and reverence to God and all those around us and set a right and proper example not causing anyone else to stumble in either direction of modesty. Um, and he says um, uh, that uh, this would help, should help should get us to understand that God has standards for his children to follow, just as we have standards for our own children to follow. We set examples for them or give them instruction, and we expect them to follow. We need to look into God's word and use it as a mirror for our spiritual lives, just as we would a bathroom mirror to see what we physically look like. And then Kent says, Shamefastness or shamefacedness is used regarding modesty that is rooted and or established upon character. The term speaks with reference to restraining individuals from unworthy actions. If one maintains this attitude regarding the clothing we wear, we will be careful not to wear clothing that sends out wrong signals. I think that's exactly right. All right. right. So we've got to go kind of quickly here. Another word that we've got to throw into the mix. Jacob, I don't know if there's anything in the chat room. We can't keep up there. Uh, the, the other word is lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness and how would that factor into our clothes choices? Let me read a definition of lasciviousness. Uh, Thayer says that lasciviousness is unbridled lust, excess, wantonness, shamelessness, Wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Vine says that lasciviousness is excess, absence of restraint, indecency, wantonness. The prominent idea is of shameless conduct. Well, we know, of course, that lasciviousness is one of the works of the flesh listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And therefore, lasciviousness has to be avoided because they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, it says, Galatians 5.21. So especially notice, shamelessness, absence of restraint, indecency. So wearing clothes that expose your, your, your body or even tight form-fitting clothes, though covered, that show the, the, the form of the body is shameless conduct, it's indecency, it's lasciviousness, and that that will condemn us to hell. All right. Uh, lasciviousness, Dwight said, is defined as wantonness, outrageousness, licentiousness, unbridled lust. That's Strong's definition. It should cause us to think of other people. How does my dress affect others who see me? It may cause some people to lust or desire to think impure thoughts, no matter how old or young, big or little. Your example to others should be of the highest integrity, especially those as Christians who are Christians. Yeah, thank you for that, Dwight. And Kent says lasciviousness is, despi- is depicted 
in the old in the New Testament of shameless conduct, absence of restraint, indecency. It is also used regarding lewd movements of the body and improper handling of the human body. This factors importantly into the wearing of clothing. When individuals dress or undress in a way to uh, in a way to uh, that leads to the absence of restraint or indecency, they are guilty of lasciviousness. All right, good. All right. Uh, there's a comment in the chat room. Nick has said nakedness is shameful in public situations. There are non-public situations which nakedness has nothing to do with sin. Times which I am trying to show that not all nakedness is sin. I suspect I teach exactly what you do about public apparel. We're not talking about what I'm, it's, it's, uh, that's a little bit frustrating because we're not talking about when you got your clothes off in the shower. You know, or, or we're not even talking about when you might have your clothes off with your with your mate in an intimate situation. We're talking about how we dress in the presence of other people, uh, not, not including our spouses. Uh, I mean, I, I, and so I think that's a, a, a sort of a straw man argument. Nobody said that that's a sin. We, please observe our comments in the context in which they're being stated. All right. Uh, 877-381-457 if you'd like to jump in. Uh, we're going to skip our last break, I guess, and go to this last one. Yeah, let's just grab this last one. Uh, number five on our update list was, how do you answer someone who says, if you can't control your thoughts when you see me in a swimming suit or a bikini or something like then that's just your problem. You have a dirty mind. Uh, I, I confess to you that this has been said to me uh, more than once. And actually, it's actually been said to me by some of my own family relatives. I remember years ago, uh, my aunt had three daughters, just slightly younger than I was. Uh, and as a, as a young person, uh, uh, I knew that my aunt allowed her daughters to go to the public swimming pool dressed in their two-piece swimming suits. They weren't, I suppose, they, they weren't bikinis, but they were two-piece swimming suits, very scanty. And uh, I, I I said to my aunt, that's wrong. You shouldn't be letting your daughters go to the pool like that. And she said, well, you just have a dirty mind. You've got a problem. You've got a dirty mind. And my response to her was, well, maybe I do. But so do a whole lot of other guys. And they're ogling your daughters when they're at the swimming pool. Is that what you want? Uh, so, I mean, th- this accusation does get thrown out there. Uh, I, I think that it's worth observing that immodest clothing has the potential to cause two people to sin. And one is the person who's looking. And so if, I, if I'm in a situation and I see a woman immodestly dressed and I lust after her as I look, then that's sin. I'm sinning when I do that. Uh, Matthew five twenty eight. I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So it's a sin. If I look at an immodestly dressed woman and lust after her, that's a sin. But don't forget that I wouldn't be the only one sinning in that situation. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, Matthew 18, verse 7 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. So the, so I would be sinning by looking at the woman, but she's sinning by causing the offense. So it's not just my problem if, if someone is dressed immodestly. Uh, I should control my thoughts. You know, I, I think it was, I, I believe I'm right in this, I think it was Martin Luther who said, uh, you know, uh, talking about dwelling on, evil things that you see, maybe dwelling and lusting after a woman that you might see dressed in modestly. Uh, I think it was Luther who said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hat. Uh, and so uh, it's unavoidable in our present world that you're going to see some immodesty. If, if, go to the Walmart store. You almost have to wear blinders to go to the Walmart store here in the summer months. But we don't have to dwell on those thoughts. Here's what Caleb says from uh, Charlotte, Tennessee. And thank you, Caleb, for your email tonight. If the statement in question comes from a fellow Christian, and that is that uh, you, if you can't control your thoughts when you see me dressed immodestly, then it's your problem. 
He said, if it comes from a fellow Christian, and I've heard those words said by some, then my immediate response would be look at Romans 14, 13. This passage in talking about for the sake of food, verse 20, teaches us that we should not put a stumbling block in front of our brothers. If my apparel or lack thereof is a stumbling block to those around me, then even if I believe that what, what I'm wearing is acceptable, I should be willing to change for the sake of my brother or sister's soul. Amen to that, Caleb. Thank you. Uh, Dwight says, I would have to ask them if they have actually studied God's word on modesty. If n- indeed it caused me to stumble, shame on them for putting a stumble, stumbling block before me. I may need to repent, but so would the one who puts that stumbling block before someone, Christian or not. I have known of fellow brothers who have been told this. When men serve, are serving the Lord in the worship assembly and they see this immodesty, it's not easy for some to focus on worshiping God. I've also known people who have to move somewhere else in the buildings as not to be distracted by immodestly dressed people. Men who choose not to serve because of being distracted. Wives of men who become upset because women dress in such a way that may cause bad feeling. Uh, some Christians may have a dirty mind and they need to repent. Those who cause others to stumble don't have a concern for others. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2, they also need to repent. Modesty has uh, has always been around, but so has cancer. Men try to find ways to cure cancer to save lives. We have the we have the cure to immodesty, God's word. Hook up the IVs. Okay. All right. And then Kent says, it is true that we need to control our thoughts, but it is also true that it is sinful to put a stumbling block before others in contributing to that of impure thoughts. Even if all individuals in the presence of indecently dressed individuals control their thoughts, such does not authorize the use of indecent clothing. The wearing of such is still sinful. Thank you, Kent, for your email tonight. Yeah. And I've heard that that last observation that Kent makes, you know, I've heard people say, you know, so here's this guy and uh, he, he likes to go to the swimming pool or maybe he likes to go to, to the beach and, and, and mingle with the women who are dressed in very scanty clothing. And he says, he says, Jacob, well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. Well, a couple things. Uh, If that doesn't bother you, I suggest maybe you need to go to the doctor and get checked up because it's supposed to bother you. You know, we're made to be bothered by that sort of thing. And if it's not bothering you, then, then you may potentially have some physical disorder that needs to be checked up upon. Uh, but, uh, even if it doesn't bother you, as was pointed out there, it's still immodest and cannot be excused. Hi, Kevin makes an interesting comment in the chat room. He says it's interesting, uh, the, he, the comment that was read about social signaling. He says, if we think of our peril, uh, apparel as sending a social signal, we might think twice before dressing once. I like that comment, Kevin. You know, when we go out, maybe we go out for lunch, uh, during the work week. And we go out to the restaurant, and uh, some women come in wearing, well, sort of like you're dressed tonight, Kyle, wearing those scrubs. Well, there's some nurses here that come. Maybe and maybe some guys come in uh, wearing some overalls, and, you know, well, the farmers are here eating lunch. We can tell about people by the clothes that they wear, Kyle, and we send off signals by the clothes that we're wearing uh by being modest, and people can tell about our spiritual condition often by the way that we dress. Yeah, which I'm not wearing a dress. I'm just it's the, my style of dress. I think that's what you're, <laughs> that's what you're referring <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, 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 no sorry. The scrubs, the scrubs, Kyle. You're wearing scrubs. Yeah, so yeah. my style of yeah. dress, which, yeah, not wearing a dress. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we can tell by uh, what your outward appearance, How what you think of, what you want people to Feel, it actually goes back to people want how they're dressed. Uh, they want to attract a male or attract a female by their dress. The same thing, we're trying to dress, you know, modestly. We want to make sure that whenever they look at me, they're not sinning. I don't want someone to sin when they look at how we dress. So we're looking out for ourselves. We're also looking out for our fellow man, though, too. So I think yeah. it's... so. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, there there is a caveat here, and I don't we don't have really time to develop it. But you know, there there is a limit to to how much a person should be required to do for the conscience of someone else. I mean, uh, Paul said if if eating meat bothered his brother's conscience, he'd eat no meat while the world stands. He said. So he could easily forego the eating of meats offered to idols because there's plenty of other food to eat, and he didn't have to eat that. And if it bothered somebody, he wouldn't eat it. But we got to wear some clothes 
You know, we, we got to make some decision about clothes. And so if, if we had a brother who said the only way he would be satisfied, uh, is for the women to wear the equivalent of a burqa, like are required in some Muslim countries in the world, completely covered from head to toe without one square centimeter of flesh exposed. If we had a brother who was saying, that's the only way I will be satisfied, uh, then I think possibly we have, in fact, I wouldn't say possibly, I think we certainly have crossed a line uh, into making a law and binding a personal uh, uh, conviction on others. So there's, we don't have time to develop that too thoroughly, and somebody mentioned that's kind of a Romans 14 kind of consideration. But I would just state that there is a, a bit of a caveat in regards to this question of casting a stumbling block before others. We are out of time. A good discussion. I, I have a feeling there may be some listeners who may not have agreed with everything we said, some listeners in the chat room that may not have agreed with everything we said. We'd welcome your comments anytime. Question at collegeview.com. And we can, we can take up this discussion again. Yeah. We have the, we have the flexibility. We could do it again next yeah. week, Kyle, if we needed to. Yeah. Kyle, thanks for being here. Any final it's thoughts good. from you? Well, I think I've heard someone say that no matter what, how you look physically, but, there could be someone who could be attracted to you. So I think being mindful of what you wear and how you act and how you put yourself out in the world, I think we want to make sure that we're not making someone else sin and we're not sinning ourselves by the way we dress. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Good right. study. Good study. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thanks. Good study. Thank you, Kyle, for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dad, for your time. Thanks, And thank you for joining us. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.